Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm excited to have Atul Rajoy, who's the founder at Washu Capital, which focuses on investing in early stage startups in cryptocurrency, blockchain, and related applications, commonly known as Web3 apps that run on decentralized networks. Now, Atul is studying his bachelor's from University of Southern California. Welcome to the show, Atul. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, uh, uh, so you know, uh, you, you're very young. You, you're still studying. You're doing a bachelor's. Now, how did you get your start in, in Web3 and in, 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 in this crazy world of uh, venture capital? Yeah, so it's kind of a long story, but um, around five years ago, uh, so I was still pretty young at that point, like starting high school, um, was super interested in entrepreneurship, tech, stuff like that, just at a high level. Um, I've done some writing, like um, both on a personal blog about like consumer tech, um, and then started to write for some other um, news sources, did some podcast stuff like that, and then decided that I wanted to try to take the like a plunge into crypto or plunge into both startups and then eventually got into crypto myself. And so how it started is I launched my own startup around that time. And we were focused on an issue I saw firsthand in my school. Um, so what we kind of built was a Kickstarter like platform for public schools to raise funds um, in the U S more effectively. Um, and we, we were basically building a bunch of tools that Kickstarter doesn't have around compliance, given that um, schools are government entities. So where like money moves is really important. And then other features like student engagement. And as part of the process in kind of creating that whole compliance tracking money piece, we started exploring blockchain technology at the time a lot um, for a lot of the obvious reasons around tracking data um, and the immutability piece. And at that point, I went around speaking at a couple of conferences about what we were doing with blockchain tech internally, because like I said, this was around five years ago. Blockchain wasn't where it is today at that time. It was still a smaller community um, and it was kind of gaining traction at that point. And so when I went around talking about the stuff we were doing, a lot of other businesses would come up to me and be like, oh, we're interested in using blockchain in some similar ways, but here are the problems we face. And a lot of these problems are stuff we were seeing internally as well in terms of building on platforms that weren't ready for production per se. So we built a lot of internal tooling um, around the blockchain to make it more scalable, make it cheaper, um, try to optimize some of those things, um, and then putting it in our product. And as we heard other businesses kind of really interested in that piece, um, we kind of pivoted the whole startup to focus completely on that. So we became a blockchain infrastructure company um, that was in its final state was around tracking data or data provenance. So basically knowing where certain data got created by who and what that data is like has changed over time. Um, and it was used in a couple of different industries ranging from like around staffing, consulting, where people are trying to root out resume fraud to other industries where tracking, like say construction project data is important. Interesting. And, uh, you know, when you start with horseshoe capital, what, what, what are the thesis and, uh, and, you know, where do you invest in? Are you geography and stage agnostic? Yeah. So I guess to kind of connect the dots between what I was just talking about and horseshoe capital first off. So what I, what I mentioned earlier was a startup I built called Cremata um, over the course of five years, um, was a founder and CEO, had a couple of full-time employees, um, kind of led that. Um, and then moved on um, from day-to-day -day responsibilities there um, and became 
or started Horseshoe kind of became the other side of the table. So as a VC now, um, and so Horseshoe Capital completely focused on the same market that I'd built a startup in. So blockchain, crypto, Web3, um, that area. And in terms of geogra- like geograph- geographical um, like interests, yeah, we're pretty agnostic. So, so far we've done deals in Europe and the US, but we're taking a look at deals in LATAM, India, um, wherever there's good entrepreneurs, we're happy to go invest. And then from a stage agno- uh, standpoint, we're not as agnostic. The earlier, the better for us there. And so um, we look at pre-seed seed mostly, and we'll take a look at some Series A deals. Got it. And, and when it comes to horseshoe capital, what, what, uh, you know, what rules determine you know, decision-making? Do you, uh, what's your decision-making framework when you're investing into, into startups across different geographies? Yeah, so I think the first thing, it really starts with like what what's being built by this startup or project or whatever it is. It's not necessarily, do you think this idea will be a smashing success, but more about like the thesis around the idea, because obviously any early stage startup, it's entirely reasonable that they're going to pivot around as they get there. Like I said, my startup switched from a, a school fundraising platform to a blockchain infrastructure company. And so that's definitely reasonable, but kind of seeing the thought process behind the um, project or startup and seeing what kind of market they're going after is really important. And then to kind of builds on top of the first point is team. So who's behind the project? Um, like both from a, what is their experience standpoint, but we also invest in first time founders, people that might not have a long track record or resume. It's more about seeing their vision. And do you think they have like the passion, the capability to go after, um, that market and be successful. And and, and when it comes to, you know, due diligence, you know, what, uh, what materials do you think, uh, uh, founders should provide to, to, uh, uh, to investors so that, you know, uh, they could do their due diligence. Yeah, that's a, I guess, a really hard an- uh, question to answer in kind of the stage we're at right now um, in terms of where we invest, because the earlier stage you get, it's possible you don't even have a fully fleshed product. Revenue numbers are almost irrelevant at that point. Um, so due diligence at the earliest stages is more about like the vision, the team, like I was saying, um, and what they plan on building any early like customer traction in terms of interest, things like that. But then as you go later and later stages, we start to look at series A deals. That's where like a lot of financial metrics matter, things like churn rate, um, like in terms of customer metrics and then just growth um, at that point is really important. And so it really varies at what stage we're investing um, in terms of what we'd like to look at for due diligence. Got it. And which companies do you feel, uh, you know, where you feel the capital is not a moat and, and they should be more conservating with raising funds? Um, well, I think that's two separate questions, right? Um, the first one, the capital as a moat. I think in today's market, in particularly in, say, Web3 blockchain, that whole space, I think capital is rarely ever a moat. I think the way you can kind of galvanize a community without having significant initial capital um, in this market means that it's very hard to use capital as a sole moat in terms of building a successful, whether that be like a DAO or project, a company. I think there's a lot more substance that is important. And I think the market kind of learned that with like the whole ICO boom, where a lot of people were raising a lot of money and then none of it worked out uh, for many of those projects. 
Um, and then the, the second piece in terms of like how to raise or how to expand capital, when to raise it in terms of um, how conservative you are. I think there's a lot of interesting factors that go into that. You could take a very macro look at it in terms of where we're at in like the general economic environment where interest rates are at um, and things like that in terms of at this point as a high growth tech company, it probably makes sense to raise larger war chests, um, given that you might not be able to raise a lot more capital over the next, say, 18, 24 months. But also it really matters on where you see the company going because there is somewhat a worry of just raising so much capital that um, it can kind of cloud what your startup's vision is um, and cloud your actual execution process. So there's a fine line to walk there. I think it's really on a startup to startup basis. And, and, uh, and you know, investing into cryptocurrency and blockchain has been has been a very uh, has been relatively a very new concept. And uh, do you think you need a new mental model, uh, especially for investors when they look at invest investing into cryptocurrency? Yeah, I think I definitely say that's true. I think unlike a lot of other like software investing, like whether that be like SaaS applications, um, like whatever that like AI based applications to enterprise software, things like that. I think, like you said, web three is just a completely different paradigm. The first of which being just being able to understand the economic model behind a lot of these projects, because um, in a lot of cases, tokens can be used to incentivize very different behaviors than a traditional, like say a company customer model where it's like a clear subscription payment or whatever um, is. And so I think it's the mental model there is really about understanding a unique economic model that a lot of these startups can um, kind of take advantage of in a Web3 community-driven format. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing instructions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Uh, you know, lately there has been some uh, interest in institutional uh, investors to invest into cryptocurrency, but but what do you think needs to happen for institutional investors across geographies and uh, and economies to invest more into cryptocurrency and blockchain? Yeah, I think there are two pieces to that question. Um, I definitely agree. I'm seeing a lot of institutional interest in terms of investing in crypto. Um, I get to talk to some of like the largest um, institutions in terms of finance in the world, talk to a couple of really large hedge, fund, hedge funds. Uh, well, traditional hedge funds are looking into crypto. And one of the things I hear from them is the infrastructure isn't as well built out as it may be in the traditional um like whether that be equities, commodities, whatever their trading world. Um, and so they look at a lot of like things around custody, staking, like that whole uh, side of things. And I think I see that on a smaller scale where some of the infrastructure there is maybe not as well built out as it could be. Um, but also I think to some end, it's just how open the, the institution is to kind of like diving into a new um, model of investing and just being able to go into a new market. And so, like you said, I think there's a lot of institutional interest and I think we'll definitely see that like bring a lot of money into the market um, as the market kind of matures. Correct. And, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, uh, I was interested in the, in the concept of DAOs and, uh, uh, and you know how how we 
how we usually work uh, in in corporates and uh, you know what do you think are the other differences between dao and say you know traditional form of financial services like you know traditional banks uh, do you think uh, uh, you know dao's could be could be a, a big concept going forward Yeah, I definitely think they could be a big concept going forward. Um in terms of the traditional working in a corporate format, I think DAOs allow a lot more flexibility, um which is why you see a lot of people who work um in on like projects driven by DAOs can participate in a bunch of different projects because it's a very community driven here's what I'm going to do, um can I get paid for it type model. Um and so you have the capacity to work on a lot of different things without being like completely tied to one project but at the same time we also look at a lot of founders and this is a good thing in my opinion that are really committed to one project and so I think overall I think DAOs offer a lot of flexibility um and from a financial services standpoint it's really about optimizing incentives at the end of the day it's like as humans obviously incentives can mean almost everything in an economic format and i think dows allow in financial services ways to like align between a lender and a lendee and just uh for example um in the case of like banks and lending um align them in different ways that can optimize both of their experiences and i think we see that a lot with a lot of startups that are focused on like um collateralized loans uh non-collateralized loans stuff like that on on chain um which could be a real point of value got it and i just had a follow up question on that do, do you think uh, we'll have uh, you know dos uh, 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 across uh, you know jobs in in a more mature fashion because um, you know if you look at cryptocurrency and you know icos we we all believe that you know uh, people are going to use cryptocurrency especially bitcoin for uh, for, for money transfer or even icos uh, could replace venture capital investing but that did not really happen but uh, uh, i i want to talk about nfts which i'll talk about later but but do you think concept like dao can be uh, can be uh, uh, in a more mature concept in, in next few years or do you think it's it's still in a, in a, in a very uh, nascent stage as of now i think in the the, the crypto market 3 4 years is a very long time um at the pace at which this market moves so i definitely think over the next couple of years dows will get a lot more mature i think there's certain pieces that really need to be figured out like the regulatory regime in the us um around things like dows to get a lot of other people to participate but i definitely see it becoming a lot more mature a lot more um attractive to people who might not be natively digital um natively focused on the web3 market and and how how does the community based decision making happen uh, in 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 a dao you know for for listeners who uh, who not too familiar with dao and how the how the community works can you explain more about you know how does decision making would happen in in such a such a uh, uh, such a company like dao Yeah so it it's not the same in every dao i think that's kind of the beauty of it that when you're scripting like governance protocols on chain you can do a lot of unique things in an automated way and so um it's not the same in every case but at like a high level kind of how it works is that um in, in a similar way of how you think about how a, a traditional company is governed by shareholders um voting things like that you could kind of imagine that governance on chain so instead of having a set of shares that you use to vote on different items in a in a company you get to have tokens that represent um governance to, or like 
represent parts of governance um, that you can use to vote on certain decisions. Um, and then there are other things like where people kind of propose different tasks, projects, stuff like that. And they're able to have the whole community vote on it in a governance token uh, based format, which is also a lot less common in the traditional corporate world where you're not necessarily voting as shareholders on whether to hire somebody um, or whether to go on one unique specific project, where in the case of DAOs, it's a lot more community driven, where a lot more decisions are put forward in front of the whole community. Interesting. And uh, I want to talk about NFTs. Uh, you know, what uh, for listeners who don't know about NFTs, what, what are NFTs and what could be the practical applications for NFTs? Yeah, so NFTs are basically tokens. Um, well, first off, I guess NFT stands for non-fungible token. Um, and so they're basically tokens that aren't necessarily used as like currency. Um, in today's market, they're most popular as forms of digital art. Um, so I'm sure a lot of your listeners probably heard of like the board API club, stuff like that, um, where it's basically people are buying various forms of digital art that represent different things. And um, that that's obviously a really hot market now. And there are other projects like NBA Top Shot, where it's basically you could buy NFTs that represent various NBA highlights um, of your favorite player, favorite team, whatever that may be. And then in terms of like practical applications of NFTs, I think some of the spaces where I find it really interesting um, for NFT projects today are where those NFTs represent something more than art. Um, I, I talk to a lot of startups and I'm definitely not alone in this that are trying to use NFTs inside games. Um, so if you buy a certain NFT, it comes with a certain set of characteristics that you can use within a game. Um, so think of some sort of like open world game where your character is defined by an NFT you buy and then the attributes of your character um, come from that NFT. And so I think that's a very interesting use case for NFTs that we're going to see a lot more of in the near future. Interesting. And uh, and where do you see the evolution of the space uh, going forward? Do you think, uh, uh, you know, it's going to replace uh, especially the, the art collectors and the art museums uh, uh, and, you know, uh, more more of the artists are going to use NFTs uh, going forward? I think it doesn't have to be replaced. I think it's more about working together in many different ways. I think in the case of digital art, I think NFTs might be able to take over the whole market. Um, and then there's a lot of unique, interesting work going on and how do you bridge the gap between physical art um, and NFTs. And so there's people working on just in general, how do you attach physical goods to some sort of on-chain representation? And I think that will be a really interesting thing to see how that plays out over the next couple of years. And if that can become a really seamless format, I could see a lot of artists attaching their physical art to an NFT or some sort of representation on-chain and have that be a, a new market to go after. Interesting. And um, uh, also, you know, for, for listeners who don't know about uh, DeFi, what is DeFi and how does, uh, you know, DeFi uh, reward its investors differently to banks and uh, where do you think the future holds for DeFi? Yeah, so DeFi basically is just a combination of the two words, decentralized finance. Um, I think the, the main goal behind DeFi is to kind of disintermediate a lot of these processes that traditional like banks or other financial middlemen have taken a huge part of. 
Um, and in the, in the past that's led to like high fees for these middlemen that aren't necessarily needed. And so, for example, there are a lot of, you could think like stock exchanges or even crypto exchanges that are very centralized. Um, and that usually means there's somebody sitting in the middle of every trade, um, taking some sort of fee for matching, um, and stuff like that. Whereas in DeFi, a good example of the same thing would be Uniswap where they're a decentralized exchange. And there is no specific like corporate middleman that is matching these um, trades that they use an AMM or uh, automated market maker um, to kind of do that. And I think in terms of how it rewards investors differently um, or people who participate in the DeFi ecosystem differently, it's that you can, again, like going back to what I was saying earlier, align incentives in different ways. And then obviously a lot of these things become a lot cheaper when you get rid of the middlemen that take a cut of whatever is happening. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. All right. And uh, again, what do you think would be the future relationship of a large banks and crypto cryptos. You know, we recently had a crypto exchange called Bitmix, which which acquired a a two hundred seventy year old German bank. Uh, do you think it's it's one of the case, uh, or do you think it's cryptocurrencies uh, and and large banks would would have some sort of relationship where uh, you know uh, uh, large banks would also hold cryptocurrency uh, as one of the assets? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's like kind of the latter where I think there are a lot of people who think that banks will get, or sorry, crypto will get rid of banks or crypto will completely replace them. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that's how it will go. Um, I think history like shows us that a lot of large institutions end up having to adopt um, new like paradigms, new tech, whatever it is. And obviously there are always disruptors that get rid of old ones. But I think in terms of like the whole banking system, I think at some point they'll have to decide to support this and um, kind of get on board, if you know what I mean. Um, and then in terms of holding crypto, I definitely think that's a huge market. One of the, the startups that I've invested in um, is focused on around how do you create custody infrastructure for, for banks? Because um, obviously there are a variety of different issues when you're a bank holding crypto instead of an individual holding crypto in like your own wallet. Um, and so that's definitely a market I'm very interested in, very bullish on in terms of helping banks kind of get on board. Um, and like you said, I definitely think they'll be holding crypto. They'll be participating in the ecosystem more um, in the coming years. All right. And, and uh, what do you think about the, about the crypto uh, mergers and acquisitions market? Do you think there's going to be a lot more consolidation uh, uh, in, the, in the crypto space going forward? Yeah, I think there's two interesting pieces to that. One, uh, like you said, there's definitely a lot of crypto MA going on, uh, both in the crypto company buying another crypto company like yesterday, OpenSea bought Dharma. Um, and I think there will be a lot of acquisitions like that in terms of optimizing how tech works in like this, this more centralized crypto world. 
Uh, but I'm also really interested in mergers that happen between DAOs or similar projects on chain, um, like the Faye Protocol and Rari, um, which kind of merged to, or they did merge on chain completely, which was a first time um, kind of experience between DAOs to optimize how they work together. And if you think about it, just like any other companies, there are synergies that can be created by merging two projects together. And so I think that'll be a really interesting market to see where traditionally there haven't been many mergers of DAOs or projects that are completely governed on chain. And I think that happening will open up a whole new, um, I guess, opportunity for a lot of DAOs to consolidate. Very interesting. And um, also I quickly want to do the top three, what's your favorite business book? That's a tough question. Um, recently, I've read a couple books. Um, I read Ride of a Lifetime um, from Bob Iger. Um, I read Tape Sucks from Frank Slootman. I really like that book. Um, yeah, I, I'd have to say two of those are uh, my favorite business books. One of my favorite finance books, which I read recently, I'd say More Money Than God. Um, that was a really good book that your listeners might like. Uh, no, all, all, all the books are great. We'll put that in, in, in the show notes. Um, and, you know, if you could go back in time when you when you started uh, uh, building Horseshoe Capital, I know it's, it's pretty new, but uh, what is the one thing you focus on on done, done anything differently? I'd buy more Bitcoin. <laughs> um, but no, I guess Horseshoe Capital is relatively new. Um, we started about a year ago, so... I think it's probably too early for me to say we would have done anything significantly differently. I think um, maybe early on when I first got into space, I think I would have definitely tried to participate more in layer one and layer two development. Uh, because like I said, we ended up building a lot of internal tooling for our own startup. Um, I think if I'd been able to participate a lot more in building some of these um, tooling at a very platform layer, I think that could have definitely been valuable um, but overall, I'd say no regrets. I think a lot of things um, have happened and they've led to other opportunities. And so I, I think overall, it's been a great ride in the community. Very interesting. And do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Um, I mean, I guess I could share my stack. Um, mostly use Slack, mostly use Zoom, um, use Notion, which is really helpful. Um, but I don't know what I would say my favorite online tool is. I think uh, all uh, Slack, Notion, Zoom are all, uh, all all the all the great online tools. I think everyone uses. So we'll put down the show notes. Um, other, yeah. what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Horseshoe Capital? Yeah, so our website is up at horseshoe.vc, um, and then people can reach out. Um, that want to reach out to Horseshoe directly can just reach out at hello at horseshoe.bc. Um, and I'll, I'll take a look at those emails directly. Um, and yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Twitter is another option as well. Got it. Um, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Although, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Yeah, me too. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.